0: Welcome to The Appetite, a podcast about all things food, body, movement, and mental health, brought to you by OPAL Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I am Dr. Lexi Giblin, a psychologist and executive director at OPAL. And today we re-release one of our favorite interviews from the Appetite's early days. At the time of this recording three years ago, Aaron Harrop was a doctoral student in the UW School of Social Work working on their dissertation on the life experiences of people with atypical anorexia. Now they are Dr. Aaron Harrop and have taken a post as assistant professor at the University of Denver. At DU, their research agenda addresses weight stigma as a social justice issue by examining the systemic factors that impact eating disorder patients' access to quality health care. Julie Church Opals co-founder and nutrition director joins Dr. Harrop in this conversation. And many of you may be missing Carter Umhow, the Appetite's previous host. She is in this one too. Enjoy.
1: So a few weeks back, we talked about health at every size mm-hmm. as a movement. And one of the things I was really struck by was that to think about that movement and its place in kind of the conversation around bodies mm-hmm. Means that you're flipping a lot of assumptions on their head just mm-hmm. as a ground groundwork is being laid, assumptions are being flipped. So when you're talking about kind of doing this this different kind of exposure, art even <laughs> um or advocacy work, what are the assumptions that you feel like you're mm. you're breaking open? Mm. So many <laughs> yeah <laughs> mm.
2: I think in the beginning, there's a lot of Assumptions about um health, what it means to be healthy, what it means to, and whether or not even we should or have a responsibility to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um so i I think it's pretty commonly accepted, at least in this culture, in this time, that uh, health means presenting in a certain type of body, mm-hmm. you know, a certain type of like muscular, athletic, toned um Mm -hmm. toned but not too toned and like thin (laughs) but not too thin um kind of presentation and you know we have these guidelines that are set forth for us in terms of our body weight and our BMI that let us know okay this is this is what health is and this is the type of body I should have Mm -hmm. and I, I think a lot of the advocacy work that we do kind of questions some of those assumptions and also questions um The ethics of kind of prescribing a certain type of body type and a certain type of body um, Mm -hmm. and then um, and prescribing behaviors to get that type of body. So a lot of our work in Mm -hmm. advocacy has to do with um, a where does this preference for a certain body type come from and a certain body size come from? Um, Mm -hmm. Does it come, you know, what type of system is supported by Mm -hmm. by that um uh who benefits from that Mm -hmm. and who benefits most from that because i think a lot of these expectations that we have benefit certain groups way more than others Mm -hmm. um and then uh thinking about how ethical is it to kind of continue to promote this certain perspective that's centered on weight um Mm -hmm. at the expense of other things and I think one of the other things that we're trying to kind of flip on the head is this, like, responsibility to not just thinness, but also to health. I yeah. think, um, you know, the Health at Every Size community for a long time has kind of struggled with this idea that we want to shift the the focus from weight to something. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe in the beginning we thought health. Yeah, that's what we want to go for because mm-hmm. everybody can get on board with that. Um And then it sometimes health and like ability isn't necessarily a choice that folks have. Like it's one of those things that ebbs and flows for all of us within our lifetime. We have periods when we're never sick and periods when we're chronically ill. We have periods where we can like be that amazing athlete that we want to be. And we're like crushing it on the volleyball court or something. (laughs) And then we have other times where we have a back injury and we can't move. And so this idea that like this kind of ultimate athleticism or wellness or healthiness is not only an option but also a responsibility
3: mm-hmm. a I moral think can responsibility be, yeah, yeah
2: it can be super problematic um mm-hmm. and it, it you know I'm always asking like who does it exclude and and who's left out and um mm-hmm. whose experience is are we saying is wrong um mm-hmm. so I think some of those mm-hmm. um Assumptions are things that we're kind of questioning and pushing back on a little yeah. bit. I want to like write those questions down. I know. I love Wait, that. what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted but, to just
1: ask you that question yeah, that you okay. just posed yourself. Can, like yeah. whose experiences are being excluded? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Who is getting forgotten about mm-hmm. in this this kind of mainstream paradigm? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was I was thinking about this on my way in.
2: Mm-hmm. Um because even in that question of who's being left out, we still often mm-hmm. see it centered around, like, thin, pretty women who's who own, kind of. who show up kind of in that margin, speaking for that marginalized voice. So mm-hmm. like, I just saw a Facebook video of, like, mm-hmm. a really pretty, thin woman who had a back injury, and so, you know, she her hair had gotten messed up, and they did this beautiful transformation for her with this haircut, and... Um, you know, she went from like thin, beautiful woman with messy hair to like thin, beautiful woman with beautiful hair. Gosh. Um, <laughs> and and there was this kind of, I was thinking about it as I was watching it. Mm-hmm. I was like, OK, this is acceptable for mm-hmm. this woman to be bedridden and to not take care of herself, partly because of her privilege. Mm-hmm. And how would this be if this was like an older fat woman, mm-hmm. you know, who was disabled and unable to take care of herself? What kind of assumptions would be? put in there and like Mm -hmm. how much would this hairdresser be reacting with like disgust as opposed to Mm. oh we're gonna get you through this honey (laughs) Um, Uh and so I I do think you know for sure there are folks with chronic illnesses that we don't see that Mm. get left out Um, I think when we talk about body positivity and acceptance um, there's um, cultures and um, you know, people of color are not represented a lot in our mm-hmm. in our white movement. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like we have um, and I don't want to ignore the fact that there are a lot of advocates that are people of color that are doing great work, but it's not being centered in our hmm. in the movement, in, in, in the movement or, or, or at least in in this one. The one that I see is a white woman.
3: Oh, okay.
2: So um, there's a lot of mm-hmm. work out there that's being done. And it's by. um folks that I don't have as much contact with mm-hmm. in my mm. white world mm-hmm. so um you know and I think also like we we see folks with disabilities left out mm-hmm. you know um and and of of course people of size mm-hmm. um and actually I don't even really like that term a ton because we all have size yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think what we're trying to say is mm-hmm. is fat people um and I'm kind of saying that from the fat liberation Mm -hmm. meaning of the word um i sometimes tiptoe around that Mm -hmm. word with certain audiences just because people get afraid when i say fat people or Mm -hmm. um but but that's what i'm talking about yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah
1: and can you say a little bit more about kind of the liberation of that word in this context i'm familiar with that but i I wonder if everyone would be because it is such a i mean you say it and there's like a it comes with kind of an energy around it. I think when that word is often in a room. So, yeah. can you lay that mm. out a little bit?
2: Yeah, I think we, I mean, we call it the F word a lot in <laughs> yeah. eating disorder treatment yeah. circles, and that's that speaks volumes, right? Mm-hmm. That um, that this word is something that has been so pathologized that we equate it with cursing. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. And so, yeah, the the fat liberation movement there's a movement to reclaim this word fat um we see similar things in terms of other places like for instance um in the queer movement queer used to be used as a as a slur um Mm -hmm. and in you know working with language and we talk about like reclaiming the tools of the oppressor Mm -hmm. um in feminist studies um Mm -hmm. particularly in um Feminist studies from um, people of color. We see this movement to try and reclaim mm. language that has been used against a group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, when there's something redeeming about it. Um, mm-hmm. Now, fat as a term is a it's a descriptive term. Um, right. It means that there's more of something. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It. So I I think in terms of fat people using fat as a positive. Or neutral or descriptive term that's Mm -hmm. that's the way that I'm using Mm -hmm. it um, in kind of that reclaiming way Mm -hmm. Um, there are other terms that we don't necessarily reclaim Mm -hmm. you know that have caused like so much harm or um, been used in such a detrimental way that a lot of advocates say no there there is there is no reclamation of that term and so terms Mm -hmm. like that are things like obesity. Like that's mm-hmm. a term at least that I've heard tossed around is like that we're not mm-hmm. we're not reclaiming that word. That has mm-hmm. caused too many mm-hmm. too much harm. Um, so I think, yeah, this idea of like what language we use, how we use it, um, mm-hmm. is is a challenge? And like who do you use it with? Yeah, right? um when is it appropriate to use it? Mm-hmm. Is it appropriate for me to describe myself as a fat woman? Mm-hmm. depending on, like, how I'm perceived and, like, who's around me. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like, watching my thin peers, like, react to that <laughs> um, it can be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a challenge because fat is a word that most people are uncomfortable with and people will say anything to avoid mm-hmm. acknowledging, acknowledging it. They'll mm-hmm. say fluffy and chunky and... <laughs> heavy Kirby. and curvy yeah. and these are all euphemisms to get around that mm. saying mm. this person has a larger body than somebody else
1: right mm. right mm. and it goes back to that idea being um it's pointing to morality mm-hmm. i would say right mm-hmm. that yeah. if there's fatness and there's squirmishness around that word there's an assumption that it's a bad thing yeah Where instead of like everyone has some degree of fat on their bodies, mm-hmm. and so it's a thing, yeah. And it is part of the body, yeah. Um, and would be more
2: neutral, mm-hmm. yeah. And even more than just the fat that we have on our bodies, um, which is kind of a like reclaiming that is for sure something, especially in eating disorder treatment. We talk mm-hmm. about like you're not fat, you have fat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think even to push back on that a little bit and mm-hmm. say. um, Yes, we all have fat, and some of us are also fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being willing to – because still in that, the way that we talk about that, then, like, you're not fat. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Goodness. so mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say something's terrible mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. you. I'm just trying to say that you have some fat on you just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, we can also push back and say, yeah, okay, everybody's got something on them, and <laughs> some people, help.
3: some of us have more.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. mm-hmm.
3: I, I don't know if this is a good time to go there, but go I'm there. so curious. I'm <laughs> because, um, gosh, okay, so Aaron, I know that you've been a part of some of those kinds of discussions around some people using the word fat about them own, their own selves. And this is in a professional context. So, in the eating mm-hmm. disorder treatment world, at some national conferences, and like bigger places where there's a lot of people serving, mm-hmm. uh, learning to be, you know, and, and growing to be better. Um, providers Mm -hmm. and treatment providers for those with eating disorders. And so I know that you've been a part of some of that. And I wonder if there's anything else to add to it on that layer, because I know from my standpoint, Mm -hmm. what I've what I um, have grown in awareness, right, is that uh, eating disorder professionals in the eating disorder world is absolutely not immune Mm -hmm. to having the weight stigma and the size discrimination that is in this world. And even when we opened Opal and we founded it on Health at Every Size and we were putting that as a stake in the ground, like it's kind of this, like, we say that to some people in the world, and then they look at us like, well, duh, of course you are. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, no, 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 that actually within the eating disorder world, that this isn't commonplace. Um, and that's sometimes surprising to people. So I guess it, back to kind of like in the eating disorder world, I know that this exact thing that you're talking mm-hmm. about, like people claiming the word fat and using that even in a professional context with co- colleagues of different body sizes mm-hmm. is happening right now. <laughs> um among um, the industry and in the in the eating disorder field. So I don't know if there's something you could give us to help us understand that or if there's anything else that adds to understanding about what's going on and maybe where that's going to take mm-hmm. – I would say eating disorder treatment, but then like even maybe society, maybe – I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is it a starting point? I don't know.
2: Yeah. Um, so I, I think it it's really sticky when we start using some of these controversial terms. Okay. Yeah. And – not everybody's on the same page about how we're using them. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And so... Fat being one of the the thing you're saying. Is yeah. Like, that's yeah. the
3: controversial term or the yeah. word fat is like the thing. Yeah. That you're, so, yeah, yeah okay. I, I know so that
2: in some circles, um, some yeah. folks who are coming from that fat liberation standpoint identify themselves as fat and they, you know, they might introduce themselves as, yeah. hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm a fat cis woman. Okay. Um, and some sometimes people who are less familiar with that react to that and they, okay. they want to say like, oh, don't call yourself that. Mm-hmm. And um, when we find ourselves asking that, I'm like, w- what is it mm-hmm. about me calling myself fat that you're reacting to mm-hmm. that you don't want me to call myself fat? Mm-hmm. Because what that says to me is that there's a there's a judgment that you have about fatness that mm-hmm that it's not good and I shouldn't call myself something that's not good. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think especially for thin providers, it can be a challenge to hear people identify themselves as fat and to kind of own it. Um, and we might have this pushback and say, Oh, oh, oh don't do that. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really what we're saying is "There, like, I'm afraid for you to do that. Mm-hmm. Or like, I have a problem with this word or I don't want mm-hmm. you talking mm-hmm. down about yourself. And, Maybe mm-hmm. I'm not talking down about myself by calling yeah. myself fat. Maybe right. I'm using it descriptively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think especially for folks within privilege, um, mm-hmm. if you're uncomfortable with the word, um, <laughs> explore it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Talk to people who use it and ask them why. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Find out why is that the word of all the words that you could use to describe your body. Why is that the one that you're choosing? Mm-hmm. Um and I think another one of the things that comes up, and I actually haven't had a lot of conversations about this because this is a really mm-hmm. hard thing to talk to people about, mm-hmm. is like, like when are you fat enough to yeah. call yourself fat? Totally. I yeah. That's I. I'm glad you're saying that
3: because I think it's hard. <laughs> like right? Yeah. Yeah. But what, what is it in relation to? What exactly. What is that? What,
2: I don't. Because mm-hmm. this is all kind of a. We're talking about like. Yeah terms that are all yeah. kind of by comparison right yeah. like right. my body is larger in comparison to this or yeah. according to BMI charts which are somewhat arbitrary and change occasionally <laughs> then I'm this <laughs> yeah. you know and you know if I had a yeah. BMI of 25 and like went to bed then you know the night before yeah. in the night, the BMI yeah. shift you yeah. know <laughs> and like all of a sudden like I'm overweight in the morning like now now, can I call myself fat? Like there's all yeah. these – it's a, kind of an arbitrary yeah. thing in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's
1: arbitrary, and I and I feel like it could get really complicated. And maybe I'm saying this surrounded by people with eating disorders yeah. as a clinician, uh-huh. but I feel a little bit worried sometimes that anyone would claim that when actually they don't have a, a, mm. a healthy view of kind of where their body is because of their challenges with their body image. Yeah. And then use it not in a way that is – neutral or descriptive Mm -hmm. um i don't know
2: yeah i you know and i think i think in the in the fat liberation world like this has been a conversation right Mm -hmm. we talk about small fats and super fats and we talk about the spectrum of of fatness and you know i think in fat liberation i'm always a little bit worried when it's small fat people Mm -hmm. that are do that are whose voices are centered whose voices are heard the most when we're not hearing from other fat folks mm-hmm. in larger bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we run the same risk of centering mm-hmm. privilege yeah. in mm-hmm. conversations where we're deliberately trying to hear from other voices and mm-hmm. from marginalized voices.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, in terms of the eating disorder world, um, yes, we, in, you know, in working with eating disorder clients, we hear that fat word all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel fat. I am fat. I'm afraid I'll get fat. Mm -hmm. We hear this, this fear fat language. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as clinicians being able to let our eating disorder folks explore what fat liberation is, um, I I think that's a great start. Um, and I think if one of your clients starts using that term to identify, um, I would, honestly, I would go with it. Mm. Um, I, I do think that fat identity is something that we kind of find or come to or discover. Um, and I think it would take a lot for an anorexic or, I, I don't like to say anorexic, but a person with anorexia mm-hmm. to come out as fat mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if they weren't fat, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Right. Um, mm-hmm. right. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that um, mm-hmm. maybe in the beginning, you know, and it could be, too, that this is a person who had a higher body weight prior to their eating disorder. And they just know this is where my body is going to go mm-hmm. if I do mm-hmm. refeeding. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, I was I looked like this before I stopped starving myself. And mm-hmm. that's probably where I'm headed. So it could be that maybe mm-hmm. they're in a more like ambiguous body weight category mm-hmm. right now. And so as a provider, you might be uncomfortable
0: hmm.
2: labeling that. But I think yeah. um, as with any kind of identity, when a person starts to claim that identity, mm-hmm. especially if it's um, something that's that's empowering, I think mm-hmm. it's um, at least worth exploring and Absolutely. seeing why are you using mm-hmm. this term?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting in the context of yeah treatment. Even today, I was supporting somebody that was really affected by something in body image group. Were you in body image group no. today, Carter? OK, um, Anyways, mm-hmm. I wasn't there either, but I just heard about it. But anyway, but just one gal reacting to what somebody in a smaller size body stated about, oh, well, I'm just going to be fat and lazy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or I'm just something, something like that. So putting mm-hmm. the stereotype with the size, using the word, like, right, like really derogatory. And then the the woman that was in a larger size body feeling just so reactive to that. Mm-hmm. And then, and my like coaching and support in her panic was, mm-hmm. you're here, you're in a place you can discuss that, like be, like, facing it and kind of and discussing it in community, right, mm-hmm. versus just the individual, even, like, individual client and provider relationship, but what happens in a milieu when mm-hmm. these things are, like, being brought up or being said, then I was feeling like, oh, this woman, like, she's maybe on the cusp of, of potentially claiming something for mm-hmm. herself, right, and, like, identifying and going, this is who I am, and wait a minute, like, working to figure out, well, wait, why is this person mm-hmm. creating or uh, stating a lot of Fear of fatness when, in comparison, she was doing that, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, that, wait, she's smaller than I am, so how can she say that? And what is she saying about me? And, like, that mm-hmm. whole thing. Right. Um, so I just – I think the richness of – I feel I feel like our – you know, Opal is a safe place that people can have those conversations mm-hmm. and, like, do that interpersonally mm-hmm. um, in a treatment environment, which I find – I think that's just a really – a gift mm-hmm. to be able to do the work Um and be interacting with people of different sizes and then yeah, maybe mm-hmm. like you're saying, like coming out with that word or naming that claim. I've never thought about it that way, honestly. So mm-hmm. I think it's neat to think about.
2: Yeah, two things with that. First of all, like coming out of fat is totally a thing. Yeah. Um, so it's okay. um it's something that mm-hmm. um, fat folks think about. Um, and if you you know, even fat folks who have been Fat all their lives, treated as fat their whole lives. Um, yeah. There's this dissonance and this yes. reaction towards claiming this because mm-hmm. it it is intentionally and deliberately like accepting, you know, a very stigmatized mm-hmm. identity mm-hmm. Um, and something that most people don't accept as a part of a person's identity. Most part people view as like a choice or um, the result of being lazy or having certain eating behaviors mm-hmm. or. Um, never moving Mm -hmm. like all these Mm -hmm. stereotypes that we have so i think that recognizing that a it's a process it's not like i went to bed and i woke up one morning and realized i was fat Mm -hmm. yeah um but also that that there is this like coming to terms with like okay i'm gonna face this very scary thing about myself and potentially for someone with an eating disorder that could be their greatest fear Mm -hmm. right like Their greatest fear could be realized. Mm -hmm. You know, this thing that we've been coaching them to like Mm -hmm. not fear might actually be true. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, so I I think looking at what that process of coming out and accepting is like is is important and that it's not necessarily that coming out process might not be met with acceptance from people in their community. It, Mm -hmm. It could be something that people push back on and and really aren't okay with their new lifestyle choice, um, right? <laughs> like, I mean, we I hear this okay. all the time. Um, yeah. And I, I think in the context of a, a treatment environment, too, I think as providers we have a really neat opportunity in situations like that where um, clients kind of go back and forth about, um, well, I'm feeling stigmatized because my body is bigger than hers, and mm-hmm. she said this thing. Um, I think sometimes as providers, we put it back on the clients and we say, hey, this will be a great interpersonal conflict mm-hmm. opportunity for you to learn mm-hmm. about and recognize. And I, I think sometimes part of our anti oppression ally work can be to step in in those situations mm-hmm. and do some education about weight stigma. What just happened? Yeah. Like, what was at play here? Why does this person think this or feel that? Exactly. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what is what is motivating this fear of fatness? And mm-hmm. what is. You know, how does, you know, my own discomfort and my own fears about my body, how does that heap oppression onto somebody else? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we think it's all about us and what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And and the reality is that, like, the body hatred that I harbor for myself, like, is mirrored to other people Mm -hmm. who have bodies that look like mine. And so how much I give voice to that or credibility to that— it it makes a statement mm-hmm. whether or not we are
3: intentional or we think that about others yeah it's it's just yeah. part right. of it yeah and, and that you're... happens in social situations too right absolutely mm-hmm. like yeah. not just in treatment environments yeah. right how just Anywhere. two human beings might interact about their size and what they might mm-hmm. say
1: mm-hmm. totally yeah. does you're size. objectifying yourself you're objectifying someone else inherently yeah mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. i wanted to shift the the conversation the conversation excuse me just slightly to kind of what how all of this plays out Mm -hmm. in an eating disorder setting. Mm -hmm. Um, We were just getting into that a Mm -hmm. little bit. But Mm -hmm. um, for those that don't really know a ton about kind of eating disorder treatment, Mm -hmm. Julie, you said earlier that people would be surprised that Mm -hmm. there would be this groundbreaking thing to do eating disorder treatment from a health at every Mm -hmm. size um, point of view. But are there things that get assumed as well around how... I mean someone's behaviors um based off of their body size, mm-hmm. kind of how they're treated within mm-hmm. treatment. Yeah, um, diagnosis in that way. Exactly. That is kind of centered around this, these assumptions and these stigmas. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes.
3: Where shall we start? I don't know. I know it's yeah. A lot, no, huh? I want to hear Aaron's thoughts on it. What where would you what would you wanna hmm.
2: Well, you know, in the eating disorder field, we're not immune, Mm -hmm. Um, and our, I mean, our DSM is even written in a way with kind of a hierarchy of diagnoses and how we screen, Um, Mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, when a person presents with a body weight that's low, we we do a certain screening. When a person presents with a body weight that's higher, we might not ask them the questions about Self starvation or purging um, mm. that we might for a thinner person. So I think, kind of right off the bat, depending on the philosophy that you fi- follow in terms of diagnosis and assessment, um, mm. we have groups of folks that their symptoms might be entirely missed because of mm. how, like, the common practice in terms of our diagnosing. Mm-hmm. I see that over and over in research where there are like cutoffs for just being considered to be included in a study and so Mm. like by definition we're excluding some folks from even consideration for having Mm. an illness because their body weight is above a certain point or below we might see that in binge eating disorder studies where people with underweight or normal BMIs like might be excluded from that particular study like they're Mm -hmm. you know and so then it that's skewing the whole thing yeah it paints a picture that like Mm -hmm. everyone with binge eating disorder has Mm -hmm. this one body type when that's it's not the, the case. case. It occurs right. throughout the weight spectrum. Mm-hmm. And similarly, we might see studies on restriction, you know, um, over exercise or something where they, you know, don't accept anybody with a body weight um, or a BMI like yeah. above a 20, which mm. paints this picture that everybody with restricting disorders mm-hmm. um, from the from the research side yeah. uh, presents in this certain way. Yeah. Um, and I then, know you're really
3: passionate about that. So like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to hear more about that. But okay. Similarly, yes. like we
2: also see that in recovery studies where they might say – they might define recovery by having a BMI oh. between 18.5 and 24. And everyone else is – you know, they don't mm. meet inclusion criteria. So then that means wow. that we're only seeing a really hmm. narrow – excuse the pun um, – <laughs> a, a narrow picture yeah, of what yeah. recovery from an eating disorder could look like. We're seeing yeah. essentially – what it means to recover from an eating disorder into a body that's socially acceptable. Yeah, mm. and so, um, mm. yeah, I th- I think just yeah in terms of screening, mm-hmm. diagnosis, it okay. it comes in. I can't remember the initial question. That but...
1: was based. I mean, that's it was an entry into <laughs> <laughs> into some large things, um, but I feel like that's that answers it for sure. Um, I think I was also wondering about kind of how. Maybe within a treatment setting, people would get treated differently. Um, or, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess about, yes, how would people get treated differently? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm imagining, like you said, that that's so much of the screening process, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and I, I, you know, to speak
2: from a more personal point, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, I have experience as a person who presented with what we call typical anorexia, which would be mm-hmm. you know a BMI that's underweight um, and then also presenting like years later with atypical anorexia where my BMI um, was in an overweight category um you know for myself, I know that my behaviors were exactly the same you mm-hmm. know I was restricting food I was throwing up <laughs> um the actually the only thing that was different is that when I was underweight. I also had substance use tacked onto it. Mm. Um, and then mm-hmm. later I did not. And so in terms of behaviors f- from the inside of that diagnosis, like I wanted help for the same things. Right. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think about this question a lot, like how does it impact us if we, if for a thin person or a higher weight person, because I went through treatment in two different inpatient centers It was kind of like my own little, you know, (laughs) end of one experience, like kind of compare them. And the treatment was radically different. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I presented for treatment as a thin woman, nobody questioned my diagnosis. The only thing that I got from peers was like, because I wasn't as emaciated as some of my peers, it was the whole like, well, do you have anorexia or do you have bulimia? It was kind of this, like, mm. like, are you thin enough to be anorexic? You know, mm-hmm. it was that those kind of questions. Um, as a higher weight anorexic patient when I presented for treatment, my therapist asked me why I was even in treatment. Wow. When I was in an inpatient 24-7 hospitalization setting with, you know, medical mm-hmm. complications, which is why I was... In an inpatient setting, you know, mm-hmm. um, and in that in that setting, like I had a therapist that you know, not to harp on this poor therapist, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but she she said, oh, you know, I I think your real problem is substance abuse. You know, I don't think you that you really need pro- help for an eating disorder. I think you need help for a substance abuse. And at that point, I've been clean for four years, so wow. you know, the the willingness to kind of mm. overlook, yeah. like, no, like. I'm here because I can't feed myself. Like,
1: right, I yeah. promise.
2: <laughs> I'm not lying. I didn't mm-hmm. think that inpatient was like such an amazing experience <laughs> that I for you to do. really wanted no. to come back here and be strip searched and yeah. monitored in the bathroom. Like, you know, um, this wasn't well, like summer camp, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, in terms of the legitimacy with which you're treated by providers mm-hmm. is, is a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, even things like, you know, then what what a meal plan looks like, Mm -hmm. you know. um, Mm -hmm. My meal plan when I was treated as an underweight person was what you might expect for someone going through refeeding. Um, And as a higher weight person, they put me on a restricted weight loss um, meal plan, even Mm -hmm. though I was doing refeeding. So I ended up discharging from a higher level of care and having to do refeeding from My inpatient meal plan, which um that's a challenge, you know. It's a serious challenge. So that you know, I think these, you know, or like, you know, when I was presenting as thin, I was restricted from exercise for Mm. until like I was orthostatically stable and things Mm -hmm. like that. And then as a higher weight um patient, I was prescribed exercise and um as like a a part of my treatment, even though compulsive exercise was a part of my disorder. So I, I think thinking really critically about like we want to treat the behaviors and the um you know the the depression the anxiety Mm -hmm. like we and we want to treat it well regardless of how a person presents Mm -hmm. um yeah so I, I do think it can be Really different treatment. Yeah. Oh my gosh,
1: that makes me sick mm-hmm. hearing yeah. about the difference that you would be prescribed some of the behaviors essentially that you're trying to heal from.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Which is just making me sick mm-hmm. thinking about that. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that offers just more and more legitimacy to that voice that says, yeah. you know, your body is unacceptable and it does mm-hmm. need to change. And you know, yes. like I mean, it mm-hmm. it strengthens. And I think for fatter people that present with eating disorders this is a challenge because Mm -hmm. they go to doctors and they're congratulated on weight loss potentially in the beginning um or maybe entirely you know they could never get seen
1: as any an issue
2: exactly like it's something to be celebrated as whereas you know for me i you know i always look at weight loss because it normally doesn't happen unless we're doing something i always look at weight loss with like a Mm. little bit of suspicion like Mm. okay like What's not right? It's not like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Tell me about it. It's like, hmm. <laughs> you know, usually weight loss happens when, like, there's there's Something a major going. shift. There's a change. Mm. There's a shift in behaviors or an illness. And so, like, right. being curious about that as opposed to automatically congratulating. Mm-hmm. Because
1: our bodies are working incredibly hard to keep us stable yeah. and safe. And yeah. so if our body has not done that by losing weight, mm-hmm. then something's happening. Mm-hmm. Something could be off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe not. Maybe not. Sure. But right. maybe could. more times than not. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. So in what you were just saying, um, kind of what it what it might feel like for someone in a fat body to be, you know, told and battling in treatment that they should be um, losing weight, essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about kind of the internalized oppression that you – have to be fighting again against actively as you're fighting for recovery. Mm-hmm. Um And now I'm thinking, too, around um, internalized oppression around race as well mm-hmm. and how all of this gets thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you are part of the—you um you might need to help me with the oh, language yeah. around this, but with ASDA, mm. you're working um, on the Inclusivity Committee.
2: Is that right? Is yeah, that the right way to it's put not it? the best name, but <laughs> it's what we got.
1: What is, what's that all about? <laughs> what is ASDA, first of all, and— what does that all mean? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> what would you rename it if you could?
2: <laughs> I, I have thought so much about that. Um, ASDA is our association for size, diversity, and health. And they're the organization that has trademarked this um, Health at Every Size name. And they're a group that specifically fights for um, justice, not just in ter- social justice, not ter- just in terms of weight discrimination, but um we're in the process of trying to take what we call a more intersectional approach mm-hmm. to um, looking at weight stigma. Um, and for those of you who are not familiar with that term, um, intersectionality is a concept developed by Black feminists that has to do with the fact that we experience our identities in combination. So mm-hmm. I'm not just a woman, I'm not just. A white woman like I have all these overlapping identities that affect um how those other identities are interpreted. Um and so for me to be fat as a woman means something differently than for me to be fat as a cisgender male. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's gonna impact me differently. Mm-hmm. Um and, and similarly we see um, Things like that in terms of um, people of color, social class, um, yeah, all of those different identities. So I think um, for a long time, the weight stigma community or um, fat liberation community was focused just on weight mm-hmm. um, to the like exclusion of other forms of oppression, not realizing how it's different to experience fatness um, as a latino woman versus fatness as um you know a a cis white male Mm -hmm. and so um thinking about the fact that we can't just look at any one of our identities alone um so yeah anyway asda for the last several years has been working on becoming a more intersectional organization which is a challenge to do Mm -hmm. and um we, yeah, I'm a part of our inclusivity committee. I, I say that I kind of question that term because um, <laughs> I have a friend who was like, you know, inclusivity makes it sound as if like we wanted you white folks here in the first place, as if there was like mm. we invited you. <laughs> and, mm. and, and, you know, so I think it's something really um, critical for us to consider in terms of like whose voices are right. heard,
1: who yeah. gets to lead. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Whose voices are centered? Because um, the the word inclusivity then suggests, oh, us white people are including you all in our conversation. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. In or or that we
2: even deserve a place at the table. Right. Not right. not not in a pejorative sure. sense, but um, there are some vo- places where perhaps we don't need to hear from another thin white woman. Perhaps, mm-hmm. you know. Um. Now. I I am definitely a advocate for finding how can we ally ourselves with other groups, other marginalized groups, and what does that look like. But I I think any time that we're thinking about allyship or coming alongside someone, we need to really be critical about: Am I speaking when someone else could be speaking, and um, how do I like what does allyship look like here, and and am I truly being an ally or am I just like making myself feel better about something right like so I think kind mm-hmm. of a on the ally side we have to be really critical and self-reflective and open to learning um, mm-hmm. when it comes to to trying to make changes that maybe we really feel are good and are all well-intentioned but
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: being able to critically reflect on that is important mm-hmm.
1: critically reflect and step back a little bit mm-hmm. too yeah yeah
3: uh, yeah, I'm glad you say that because it's like one of the reasons I wanted you here, like on this podcast, because I just where I am, I feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to use the right words and conversations around all this mm-hmm. stuff. I like feel fearful mm-hmm. um, that I may not um, have the right way to ally like with mm-hmm. somebody. And so it I, I'm trying to navigate that even in mm-hmm. my the ways that I might have some roles in the health at every size community right now professionally i like still feel hesitant and Mm -hmm. scared that i'm going to say something wrong or do something Mm -hmm. in this whole thing so i think i just that's like i want aaron to come and talk about all this stuff (laughs) um because it's like i we care so i care so much and i want to keep growing and learning Mm -hmm. and like be um yeah so i i feel humbled by it Mm -hmm. i guess in that way because i i sit in a place of privilege as a thin white woman so then i go okay well okay, what do I do with this? Like, I don't want to overstep and use my power, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? I don't want to. So I don't – I I feel more hesitant lately in that way and, like, trying to navigate what to to do with that. I don't know. So I just say that. I'm glad you brought that
2: up (laughs) (laughs) because – I don't know. So there's a – there's a great list of like characteristics of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, just gonna throw out that word. Yeah, just mm-hmm. it's there. Okay, said <laughs> it. Cool. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. But one of it's basically like how do we look at critically look at white culture mm-hmm. and some of the things that that are products of our white culture is like this. Um. And and maybe particularly for white women too. Like this. Like I don't want to say the wrong thing or be misinterpreted. And so then. I kind of step back, mm-hmm. and then I I don't act, and so mm-hmm. I think the the willingness to step mm-hmm. into that discomfort, like you mm-hmm. just did, and say, "Hey, I'm mm-hmm. still gonna do this messy mm-hmm. work, and I might mess it up," <laughs> mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that like perfection doesn't have to be the only option here, because um, yeah. I think we can only do allyship imperfectly, and yeah. if we wait for to be perfectly prepared. Mm-hmm you know, we are going to be those folks on the sidelines that are silently complicit. And mm-hmm. so um, mm-hmm. I think having the courage to step in and say, hey, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, even mm-hmm. on this podcast, like yeah. I've used the <laughs> terms like men and women and not mentioned non-binary sure. identities, you mm-hmm. know, and that's like,
0: you're
2: like, conscious of that. I'm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm growing to be, you yes, know, and I, I have yeah. wonderful people in my life who Remind me over and over and over, women and femmes, or you mm-hmm. know, um, here's okay. how your language can be improved, mm-hmm. or you know, that was really kind of crappy mm-hmm. what you just said there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think part of this ally work is mm-hmm. being willing to yeah. to step in and being willing to be wrong and being mm-hmm. humble when somebody says, "Hey, here's how to do it mm-hmm. a little bit differently." So I mm-hmm. think just by those mm-hmm. acts of bravery and being willing to step mm-hmm. in with your privilege and mm-hmm. try and make some change, that's
3: mm-hmm.
2: important. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I distinctly remember when we, Aaron and I, mm-hmm. did a presentation on campus here mm-hmm. at the University of Washington for the staff. Mm-hmm. And as we were preparing it and just sort of divv- divvying up the slides, and I felt like even we, like in our mm-hmm. relationship, were sort of trying to navigate this of like, mm-hmm. okay. And do you remember this? Yeah. 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 And I don't, I think it may have even been I don't know when we were working on it and you were like, "Okay, well, I think you should take these slides because they might listen to you for these reasons. And then Mm -hmm. I think I'll take these slides because they (laughs) Um, and like just trying to like figure out what would. Yeah, I don't know. Just trying to make sure the audience could take it. Like Mm -hmm. um, and you were like, there's some of these slides. I think they're going to take it easier from a dietitian Mm -hmm. versus from me and social worker and then sort of our body sizes. Mm -hmm. We talked about like, okay, I think they're going to take it from the thinner of us in Mm -hmm. this in this context, in this topic. And like, I mean, I don't know. That just felt like, oh, I was grateful for the way that we were able to, I don't know, just like name those things and Mm -hmm. then like decide together. Wait, we we care about the the content of this and getting Mm -hmm. this out to some of the staff here that was more of like a wellness program for the UW employees. And it was like, ooh, I'm so excited about this. (laughs) And we felt so unified in that. And then we were trying to like together figure out (laughs) what was going to, how the audience was going to receive us and the ways, who we were and who they were going to interpret us to be Mm -hmm. um, based on our credentials Mm -hmm. and our body size and our skin color and our education level and like, oh, yeah, so many things.
2: And I think that highlights like, yeah. why having multiple voices in this work is important mm-hmm. and um, and I you know why mm-hmm. allyship and um, and all those things can be like so crucial because there are things mm-hmm. that I can say as a fat woman where because of societal stigma I won't be believed yeah like you know it's and there are things that I can say and have you know say the exact same thing cite the exact same s- study. Daddy. And I won't have that credibility. Mm-hmm. I will be seen as either trying to glorify obesity or trying to justify my own body. Mm-hmm. And
3: so... You um, handed me those slides. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I thought. Exactly. I remember that. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm the dietitian. Okay, if they'll hear it, I mean, okay. Yeah. But like, I'm up here with you. <laughs> no. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> She's the smarter one. Are you kidding me? Like, aaron has got way more to say about this. do <laughs> oh, ah, She knows the study. I'm just, what? I don't even know the study, basically. Like, that's the contrast. Mm-hmm. that's how yeah I remember mm-hmm. feeling that I mm-hmm. wanted you to have way more time up there I just was like all those things I, re- I remember feeling that so
2: mm. and there also you know <laughs> yes. sometimes when yes. I want to step into that space and I'm willing to take it and other yeah. times when yeah. I don't yeah. feel
3: like doing <laughs> yeah. it you right. said that that day actually I think I remember you saying that <laughs> yeah. yeah Yeah. I can I see have to that. sort through all those different yes. waters just to mm-hmm. give a lecture yes yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: that's not Oh. totally yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was um, just reflecting on last podcast, we were talking about body image a ton, just mm-hmm. kind of generally. Um, and I don't think that we got to as much depth, of course, around this topic of intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were talking a little bit about kind of what, it, what it's like to go on a process mm-hmm. um, with yourself mm-hmm. around developing healthy body image and what mm-hmm. is that and what is body – Neutrality versus mm-hmm. body positivity, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any mm-hmm. any sense or anything that you'd want to add to the conversation around on how to develop kind of body image in these terms? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a big, mm-hmm. another big question.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, the whole concept of body positivity is a really mm-hmm. charged topic right now in fat communities because mm-hmm. – Body positivity can be a, a place where fat liberation can be kind of hijacked a little bit. And mm-hmm. we focus on okay. acceptance and positivity for like a certain slice of mm-hmm. the fat community. You mm-hmm. know, this kind of hourglass, mm-hmm. femme, fashion. Ashley Graham. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This kind of, you know, that that's acceptable and that and and that the idea that having body positivity means I put all this time and money and resources into mm. presenting my body in a certain mm. way mm-hmm. or that I have a, a responsibility and moral responsibility to making myself as palatable as possible as a Ugh. fat woman, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That if I can present in this certain way, like my fatness will be, you'll see that I care about myself really, that mm. I'm trying, I'm really working with what mm. I've got here. Uh, mm. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. And and I think we kind of run that risk of body positivity becoming something where like, as long as I can, I still want to see myself as pretty, right? I still want to be beautiful. And that's part of accepting my body is seeing how beautiful I really am. Mm -hmm. And I I think there's this other kind of pushback that like, I don't owe you prettiness. Mm -hmm. I don't owe you a certain presentation. I don't, owe you money that's spent on products or clothes, mm-hmm. you know. I, I think there's a lot to be said for um, fat equality in terms of like access to clothing and, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that we consider like really basic human rights. Um, mm-hmm. And then on on the flip side, that you know, at least for for me in in my journey, um, I'm really trying to get to a place where I can like sit in my body and be cool with it, you know? Um, so for, for me, it's not just about like, oh, I can like now appreciate this about the shape of my legs or I can appreciate my hair. Um, <laughs> like, you know, kind of kind of the go to things that we talk about in eating disorder treatment well like what can you like about yourself like mm. you know it, it, even that like it's parceling our body up into pieces Yeah. right yeah. like and how often are we really talking about like like the bulge of my belly or like mm. the folds in my back like how mm. often are we talking about those things that are like really pathologized in our mm-hmm. culture um mm. it's all about like well this thing most closely aligns with what society says is beautiful so I guess I like that thing
1: Mm. right right still how are you most palatable how are you most fitting into this idea of the male gaze upon you Mm -hmm. at all times and etc yeah
2: (laughs) Yeah. so yeah just like those like I think of steps and I'm thinking like Mm. I don't know like I'm wearing I'm not wearing sleeves right now like that's a huge for me for like this woman who had to, like, unveil my arms one day in, like, 120-degree mm-hmm. treatment in Arizona because I was so <laughs> terrified of, like, how my arms looked. Mm-hmm. Like, to be, like, sleeveless here because I'm a little warm and this is mm-hmm. how I'm most comfortable. I mean, that's that's huge. Right. Mm-hmm. And, like, and my arms are, like, way bigger now mm-hmm. than they were when I was then. Like, mm-hmm. I even have, like, this little, like, crease here by my... Mm. I'll call that a bicep like (laughs) right like to to like be able to like be here Mm -hmm. and like like this kind of like I want to be able to accept this with as much like gentleness and like comfort that I can Mm -hmm. and then also look for those places where like I get to use my body as a tool for expression like you know my tattoos or my hair color or Mm -hmm. um you know, how I present my gender, you know, in terms of like my style, how I show up, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. So I think those kind of steps towards comfort and safety and self expression are all things that are important for me mm-hmm. and things that are really hard to teach. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, exposure, practice, all those
1: things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. I love that idea. I'm just like, my mind is popping in all these different directions around what it means to be embodied in a way that's not objectifying, um, but also allows you to kind of claim personality and style and all these things that are so significant. Mm -hmm. Hmm.
0: In case you want to learn more about Dr. Harrop's work, you can find one of their publications in the journal Women and Therapy in 2018 on their own experiences of difference in treatment between typical and atypical anorexia. And you can find the link to this article in our podcast notes. And they have been working on developing a weight stigma training for healthcare providers to help educate about weight stigma and how it impacts clinical care. For this, Dr. Harrop is working with Dr. Lisa Erlanger at the University of Washington, as well as several colleagues from the Interprofessional Education Program. And if you are a University of Denver student, you are lucky this spring, Dr. Harrop is teaching a social justice course on the intersections of weight stigma with other forms of oppression. And in case you wanna connect up with Dr. Harrop through Facebook, they host a community called Recovery at Large, which provides peer support for higher weight folks with eating disorders. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about Opal at www.opalfoodandbody.com. And thank you to David Bozzi for editing, Camille Dodson for podcast support, and Erin Davidson for the Appetites music. See you next time. Thanks.